is exhausting to feel like you aren't good enough, not pretty enough, smart enough, strong enough, skinny enough, funny enough. Insert whatever you think you're lacking, just not enough. Our culture sure reinforces this message, and then I think it often packages the promised answers in the form of nutrition advice, weight loss promises, even wellness culture. I'll never forget when I was a junior in college struggling with an eating disorder. I was trying to find my footing in the world and really trying to figure out what the future held. I had really big questions like, what was I going to do after I graduated? Would my relationship make it? How would I support myself? All of these really big questions coupled with our physique-focused culture made it really easy to funnel my discomfort with the unknown future into my body. I remember hating my body so much that I didn't want to take it anywhere. I didn't want to take it to the gym. I didn't want to take it to social events. I just didn't want to take care of it at all. I lacked that overall self-respect because I didn't feel like I was enough. Like I wasn't worth being taken care of. When I discovered that the problem wasn't actually my body and that food is my friend, it's my fuel, it's my energy source, it was incredible what doors opened up. All of a sudden, instead of obsessively counting macros or spending way too many hours at the gym working off food I thought I shouldn't have eaten, I had all this extra energy and I could redirect it towards things like my relationship with friends. That's when I met my husband. I started serving a bigger purpose. I realized that I was more than my body and more than my physique. The absolute craziest and most ironic thing about this is that when I made this shift, it actually made me want to take better care of my health. I am now the strongest and healthiest I have ever been, and I got here by doing some of the things that I was sure would cause weight gain. You see, I had to detox diet culture first. Then I had to get really up close and personal with my values, my genetics, my biofeedback, and align that with my health and what the healthiest version of me looks like. Now I'm able to live in a way where food is my fuel source and my body is my values vessel. What is your relationship with food stealing from you? What's up, food friends? Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Jazz, and if you're new here, I'm so happy you are here. I am a body bully warrior, food freedom guru, nutrition nerd with a capital RD. Get it for registered dietitian. <laughs> I am here to help you become an empowered eater. I'm dishing out nutrition fun with a side of science as we learn how to let go of guilt and that all or nothing mentality. I'm an eating disorder and insecurity-filled girl turned energizer bunny who just has an insatiable appetite for life. I'm a speaker, founder, and certified eating disorder and sports nutrition specialist. I'm fueled by faith, delicious food, and lots and lots of fun. I am in your corner cheering you on because I know you have this inner awesome and we just need to fuel it right. We need to fuel it with the right food, the right mental thoughts, the right relationships. I'm here to fuel your awesome with the nutrition info that supports you, empowers you, mental strength training, and confidence that radiates regardless of your body shape. This show is for the woman who wants to eat healthy but doesn't quite know what that looks like. The girl who's trying to break up with diet culture because she finally realizes there is no such thing as a perfect body, but also kind of scared that if she lets that go, she's settling. The mama who's trying to take care of herself and feed a whole entire family all before running out the door at 7 a.m. The college grad trying to get her feet on the ground and wondering if being healthier or skinnier or prettier would help. And the superwoman out there who is absolutely crushing life but still feeling like it isn't enough. Oh girls, the struggle is real! But you know you hold an inner awesome and I know you know this because you're here. You downloaded this podcast, you're listening, you're tuning in. So if you're ready to be the healthiest version of yourself, here we go. Food freedom means food is just food, and you can channel that energy you used to use to obsess about food and your body, you know, like all that, changing your outfit a hundred times or weighing food over and over. Now we take that energy and we can channel it towards serving your purpose, your family, your work, your inner awesome. It's so crazy how there's this ripple effect when we allow ourselves to be the healthiest version of ourselves. Our family feels it, our work feels it. 
Girls, the world needs it. I'm stoked to be in your corner. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at JessBrownRD or check out all my resources, JessBrownRD.com. All right, Superwoman, are you ready to channel that inner awesome? We're going to take it up to the next level. Grab a cup of coffee, lace up your running shoes. Let's dive into today's show. He is currently pursuing his master's and his certification as a registered dietitian. He's a level one, level two precision nutrition, certified nutritionist, a functional range conditioning coach, National Academy of Sports Medicine certified personal trainer. And that's just like the start of his list. He's got a long list, but we narrowed it down to that. He's got experience working with professional athletes, football players, basketball players, soccer players. I mean, you name it. And he brings a killer shoe game. That's one of the things I first noticed about Mike is he's got these amazing kicks, and I kind of want to start with that, Mike. Welcome to the show. How are you doing, guys? So we met, so on the shoe, like, note, it was so funny. My husband, it was like probably two and a half years ago for Mother's Day, he got me Nike Low Dunks, which I didn't know what that was, but I just thought these were super cute. I love it. I love yeah, it. well, I wore them, and I walked into you and were like, those are some sick shoes, Jess. <laughs> he's got He's got some good... Uh... Good recommendations for you relative to shoes. Well, I yeah, I guess so. I get more comments on my shoes now from men than I've ever gotten in my entire life. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, he keeps me cool. I like this. <laughs> and now you have a little bit of an obsession with shoes. I that's my that's my negative advice right now. That's my <laughs> my mini addiction. How many do you have? Like honestly. Uh, seventy. What? Seventy-five to eighty pairs, give or take. Do you have a whole closet? Yeah, I have an entire closet <laughs> all in clear shoe boxes to display all of them. Spoken like a true <laughs> shoe lover. <laughs> well, I'm really, really grateful you're here today, Mike. Um, we're going to be talking about your story because you have a super powerful story talking about a little bit of like a taboo subject is males, yeah, eating disorders, yeah. search for muscularity, all that stuff. You ready to dive in? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> well, it's funny. So I was actually talking to one of my girlfriends at the gym this morning, telling her that we we're going to record this podcast. And she was like, wait, what? Males and eating disorders? What do I need to know? And she's got three boys. I've got boys. And I think this is a question a lot of like moms, aunts, you know, teachers, we don't think it happens in men and we just don't think it's an issue. Right, right. And that's not really true, right? Not at all. I believe there's this societal stigma that men aren't supposed to have these eating disorders relative to maintaining a, an ego and that masculinity needed, which is also, in my opinion, the reason why they tend to not want to seek help when they start falling into those patterns. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think it's probably the most gendered eating disorder or actually the most gendered psychiatric disorder. It's like we just think women, yeah, it's natural. We struggle with body image, but males, we just don't really talk about it. Right. I feel like the male human body has this mentality that's relative to function and purpose so we don't actually play into weight and body image even Mm. though that's something that males think about on a regular basis it's just not something that's ever talked about yeah yeah and over time you think that can become disordered i think it can it become obsessive which in turn becomes disordered for sure gotcha 
Yeah, so one of my interns, she actually pulled some research for me, and according to, like, the last five years, there's been a dramatic increase in males with eating disorders and certain behaviors, and they're actually finding that certain behaviors are more common, if not as just as common in males as they are females. Totally believe it. Totally believe it. I do too, but they're not showing up in the treatment center, right? Like, because I've been working in an outpatient eating disorder clinic for over 10 years now, and I can probably count on my hands how many males have walked in. I'm convinced that they tend to mask it. Like, they don't want others to know that because, again, that's then allowing that vulnerability that then still plays back into the social norm of how a male is supposed to act. Right, right. It's not socially accepted. And, right. and I think it's also, like, one of the primary differences is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but, like, the for males, when it comes to disordered eating, it's like a drive for muscularity, whereas females, it's a drive for thinness. Yep. And that drive for muscularity is much more normalized in our culture even and, though it's still body image. Yes, yes, right. even yep. though, yes, that's a good point. Um, but it's not all bad, right? Like, we're not saying if you're no, trying to be more muscular. <laughs> like, I feel like I can almost make the argument that a lot of males have eating disorders. It's more on the side of orthorexia where they're trying mm-hmm. to almost eat too healthy because that's they're so obsessed about gaining right. that muscle mass or looking the way they want it to look. Right, right. Like, it just gets so obsessive that it impacts other areas of yeah. their life. And right. it's like the, they're never satisfied either, right? Right, right. Yeah, I'm just thinking, so I've heard, like, the buzzword superhero syndrome. Have you heard that one? Yeah. But I'm thinking, like, my son's Halloween costume, he's going to be Robin. My kids are being Batman and Robin. They're so cute. I love it. (laughs) But they both have, like, massive muscles built into their costume, which is, like, great, right? But I don't, like, the kid female costumes don't necessarily have, like, adult women parts built into their costume. Right, right. And I'm almost curious, like, what opinions they start to develop relative to maybe seeing themselves in the mirror in that costume. Yeah. Does that create something in the future? Oh, yeah, good stuff. Okay, so I want to dive into your story. Okay. Because you've got a cool one, and I actually haven't heard the whole thing, so I'm excited to hear it. So let's start. Tell me just about your relationship with food um, food and your body as a teenager and, like, how that morphed over um, going into your 20s and as your career started to take off. Yeah, so everything for me started specifically around like 6th and 7th grade. I was a little, uh, not necessarily obese, but I was a little bit overweight for my age. And at the time, there was that big uh, social norm about limiting fats. Mm. So my parents were obsessed with keeping fats as low as possible. And I don't think they realized at my age how much that impacted me where anything with fat, then I started to refuse to consume at all relative to what they were telling me. So, yeah, the fat-free area, era, right? Yep, like the yep. snack wells phenomenons and yep. all that. So how did they convey that message to you that, like, that was bad? Like, what kind of things did they say? What did they do? Yeah, so I think part of the problem was they didn't actually give me the knowledge to understand it. So it was, all I knew was anything more than four grams of fat I wasn't allowed to consume. Mm. And then that was just a norm. And my parents would never bring anything in the house that was higher fat. I wasn't even necessarily taught the different types of fat to understand that there is still a hierarchy in terms of what is nutritionally valuable for us. Yeah, yeah. So I like what you said. There was no knowledge behind the guidelines. Because a lot of, like, I I know the fat-free area has, like, transformed and morphed over the years. But, like, there was some basis for us sucking fat out of foods. Right, right. Like, heart disease is a major issue. We need to reduce saturated fat. So this thought of, like, not having foods that have more than four grams of fat, like that came from a nutrition knowledge, right? That came from, but it was never conveyed to me. It was never conveyed to me. Okay. Right, right. And then just this idea too that in general, 
the fat we consume is the fat on our body. That was always the assumption. Um, and that was never, that was never changed in my mind relative until I got older, essentially. Oh, that, and that one's very common in females. It's like dietary fat equals body fat. Right. Like right. we don't think about that it's actually like a metabolic process when we eat fat and it actually turns into glucose. And... Yep, yep. So then at the time, um, my dad had actually finished running his last Boston marathon and he was getting me hooked on running. And the argument was I'm running to lose weight, not running to get better at running at the time. So it enticed more eating disorder behaviors to just get better at running essentially. So I would almost in a sense say my, my journey with exercise was actually in the form of purging in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like it was a reason there was value behind it, but not for the sport itself, but to lose weight or to look a certain way. So very similar stuff that females experience. hundred percent the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you had mentioned exercise purging, so that might be new to people that are listening. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell me a little bit more about what that how would that look like for you? Yeah, yeah. So, well, basically, I was I was anorexic for the first three or four years and doing, uh, and then when I started getting in, into running and stuff, um, sport became, like, my reasons for eating were all around exercise. So, if I wasn't active, I wasn't going to eat. Okay. So, then then it started using that, this idea of expelling calories through exercise, which then led me to actually becoming bulimic for two or three years, um, not truly understanding that that was actually a problem. And what I found very fascinating being a male was I would even bring some of these behaviors up to my parents and they didn't, they were unaware, like me being the male was like, Oh, that's not a big deal. Like you'll be fine kind of thing. As opposed to understanding that that truly is a a problem, no different than a female. Gosh, that's so fascinating to me because everything you just said is like exactly what we see in females, right? Like I relate to it too, where it's like, okay, you got to earn your food. Yep. You know, you have, if you don't work out, you don't deserve to eat. Dietary fat equals body fat. Mm-hmm. Um, if you overeat and you don't burn enough calories, you got to get rid of the food in some way, whether yep. it's yep. exercising more or purging. And it's just kind of that like insidious progression of disordered behaviors showed up exactly the same in you as it does in our females. Yep. But then when you brought it to your parents, they even were like, gosh, yeah, you're going to be fine. You're not a big deal. And then it became almost like this negative cycle that led to me continuing to follow these same patterns, which then obviously through the restricting and even if I wasn't throwing up, it would still lead to then me binging because I wasn't eating enough calories throughout the day, even though I was being as active as I was being. So then that would end up leading to more guilt and shame, which would then lead to me overly exercising. And then I would end up either hurting myself, which something would happen. Quality of life would just dramatically decrease without me realizing it was decreased. Yeah, yeah. At what point did you realize it was decreased? I mean, because you're aware of it now. So where did you pick up on it? I honestly don't think I was aware of it until college. Mm. The good news is that I will say is probably by senior year of high school, because I was so obsessed with sports at the time, it became less of a need to purge. But then I think that's when the eating disorder became more orthorexic because then it was just about eating as healthy as I can to help with my sport, even though in the back of my mind, body image and weight were still prime movers 100%. Yeah. I just wouldn't tell people that. Well, that was, why would you, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's a societal norm to keep those type yeah. of things quiet. Like, I got to be that confident, ego-driven male. Yeah, wow, that's that's really powerful. Well, and I think you're not alone in being, like, delayed in noticing that it was a problem. I mean, how many people you work with eating disorders now as well? It's like, how many people do you know come into our office and say, oh, I'm doing, you know, I can eat this, but then I have to run two miles afterwards. Right, right. 
and they think it's normal. Yep, and I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of individuals don't realize it's an eating disorder because they're justifying why they're doing what they're doing. Tell me more about that. That's good. Tell me more. So, uh, going back to even the idea of exercise relative to purging, like, if you can't, I used to, even in my mind, would tell myself, like, if I'm going to indulge, I have to have a reason for why I'm indulging or else there's no justification for it. Mm-hmm. So, it wasn't even necessarily, well, I guess we, I could say it was me taking the emotion completely out of it and being like, if there isn't a need for that emotion, why am I indulging? Mm-hmm. There's no justification if it is. Like, you can't just eat ice cream because like, it tastes good. Like a routine meal versus an actual justifying an indulgence meal. Mm-hmm. So then that kind of led to a little bit of that kind of bodybuilding mentality of eating crazy clean and then having that cheat meal, but then that still catered to the eating disorder of binge eating because I was never actually getting enough calories throughout the day. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like your cycle, would it be, would you binge at night or would you binge on your cheat meal? I would technically both. And technically the the cheat meal would be at night because that's when I would be craving things the most, whether it be like a Saturday night or... And then I would feel like absolute crap the entire next day, which would, I would always tell myself that's my reminder to not eat like that. So then it kept feeding into why I was reducing calories and nutrients throughout the week to, to lead to another binge all over again. And then that's where the shame comes in. And right? that's where the shame like, comes in. Like, I can't do this right. Mm-hmm. See, I, I know I feel like crap, but yet I do it again. And why do I do this to myself? Yep. Yep. And even though I may not talk to people about me feeling safe fat, just like I'm sure many other males, they'll very quietly grab their own adipose tissue and pull on it feeling where they're at yeah well so there's some like major themes i'm noticing so one you didn't have like this basis of nutrition knowledge when you were younger which what teenager does right Right, like most of like health class and nutrition education that we get at an early age is so minimal like where would we get that and i feel like the education that i developed was just the all or nothing approach yeah. relative to the way my parents were teaching it. Where did you get your nutrition information in high school? Do you remember? Uh, from my parents. From your parents. I think it was just from my parents. But even then, like, I'm very much convinced that my own father had an eating disorder. So the same traits he would tell himself is what he was telling me because he mm-hmm. couldn't control his own appetite given how active he was. So you were just picking up on his, mm-hmm. his patterns. Yep. I was just wondering because, like, for females... Most of us that were like raised in the 90s are like, oh, Cosmopolitan magazine, you know, told me to eat 1,500 yeah, calories. Yeah. And so I was like, where did, where did guys get this information? Yeah, I think just from my dad. Like, I remember yeah. in like the sixth or seventh grade, my dad started introducing me to protein shakes. And then mm-hmm. that started to be my only meal of the day if I wasn't active or little things like that. Yeah. So then not only was I not eating enough calories, I wasn't eating, having enough nutrition in general, right. uh, good quality food. Right. Okay, so the knowledge one was in there for sure. And then like this subtle, like poor relationship with your body, like feeling like it's something's wrong with it. You know, you're just not whatever hitting your goals and not being able to say that out loud. Right. Like I would, I'm convinced I looked at myself in the mirror as many times as any teenage girl. Yeah. But again, that's not something I, a male can talk about. Which is so crazy because why wouldn't men have the same struggles as females going through high school. Like right. Everyone's going through puberty. Right. Everybody's bodies are changing. You're in this weird space. And again, <laughs> I, I think it's just kind of this double-edged sword where like it's okay for a female to show emotion. It's not okay for the male to show emotion. Do so you think that's can, changing now? I think it is starting to change, but I'm curious to know if social media is what's impacting that in a positive or negative way. Because yeah. obviously we know from a female image standpoint, social media is killing it. It's making it a very big problem for females with eating disorders. But I'm still convinced it also is a big problem for males as well. We yeah. just don't really think of it that way. 
Yeah. Well, especially being so young and like not standing on solid nutrition knowledge, um, you know, going through just life changes. When you're right, in high right. school and college, you don't know like what your ground is you're standing on, right? Like you know right. what you want to be when you grow up. You don't know if you're going to get married, not married. Like you don't know all that stuff. So it's like it goes back to like, well, I can't control my body. I can control food. And so yep. like sets yep. us up, I think. And then, and then there was still this very much, and I, I, maybe this is relative to my parents specifically, but there was this idea that you had to be perfect. Mm. So we just constantly just keep, kept reinforcing this all or nothing mentality, whether it was with food or with school or with something, yeah. which would just overwhelm me. And then I'd end up pushing even harder and then get more negative. Yeah. Well, cause who's perfect? Like no, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. no one. So how did this change? Like as you realized in college, okay, this is an issue. Like it's not normal to throw up. Right. Which is, I totally relate to that. And I know I shared my story in the first episode where I, same thing, like I just kind of started doing it and became bulimic and. But even speak, even kind of speaking on that, I, at the time I didn't really think I was bulimic. Yeah. I didn't realize like, I'm like, Oh, it's not severe as we always rest, like justify. I'm trying to justify it all over again. Yeah, mm-hmm. we always do because we don't. We never think we're going to be the one that has an eating disorder. Right, right. And yeah. then, especially not having enough glucose in the brain to rationalize those thoughts, like then I end up continuing to follow those patterns, not realizing it's a problem because my own parents aren't even identifying it. I love that you said that. I just have to like pause and park on that for a minute because not having enough glucose in the brain is so crucial, and I don't think we talk about that enough. How when we're trying to make any behavior change, whatever it is, if we don't have glucose in the brain, we cannot change our behavior because we don't have the tools to create new thoughts. Exactly. (laughs) We we essentially only have our emotional brain to communicate with that reptilian brain. So, and that becomes a major problem if we then can't rationalize those emotions. Right. I say this to the folks in our treatment center all the time where I'm like, it's just glucose. Like whatever they're eating, I'm like, it's just glucose. And I told them I'm going to get a tattoo of like the glucose molecule. You know how everyone has like serotonin now yeah, yeah, yeah. and caffeine. <laughs> I'm going to get glucose. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so in college, realizing this is a problem, picking up on some of your behaviors and kind of, and you were in school for nutrition, so you were starting to get nutrition knowledge. So, so believe it or not, actually in the beginning, I actually I have a minor in mechanical engineering. What? So I actually <laughs> started with an engineer major, okay. and then it was actually when my dad was diagnosed with ALS that I switched to nutrition. Mm-hmm. So then that's actually when all of my nutrition education was focused on the brain specifically, which I think is actually what kind of dug me out of the eating disorder hole because I wasn't looking at the body in terms of image or weight or even performance. And it was literally how can I keep my brain healthy long-term knowing that I don't even know if this specific disease is hereditary or not and how that impacts my decisions. Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. So it's com- it completely changed how you view Absolutely. food and Absolutely. body relationship. Now to this day, I still feel like I have eating disorder thoughts. The difference is I can choose to recognize it and ignore it. Yeah. And I think that's the big game changer over the years. Yeah. It's like, um, they, there's this quote that talks about like in, when you're scrolling on Instagram, if you see something you don't like, like you have the option to keep scrolling. Right. So right. in our brain, yeah, we get these thoughts still, but it's like we don't have to pause, read the comments, you know, go to yep, the person's yep. profile. Like no, we can just have the thought and keep on scrolling. And I, I remember my so right when I started the nutrition major, I actually started seeing a therapist at the time mm-hmm. because I everything kept leading to more anxiety and depression because I couldn't quite wrap my mind up around how to handle my eating essentially with it and it ended up actually directing me towards uh yeah so starting to see a therapist it directed me towards understanding that you can't take emotion out of food and for the longest time all of my eating disorders i within all my eating disorders i just kept trying to tell myself i want to rationalize absolutely everything if i can justify it then i know i'm doing the right stuff 
the problem with that is there's emotion with everything that we do implying that I was actually taking out all the social aspects of my life that was actually leading to my depression and anxiety because I was focusing so much on the food. Oh, like, like you wouldn't go out with friends? I would or... not hang out with anyone if I knew that there was something unhealthy or something that wasn't within my parameters in my mind that I can consume. So then that's actually what led into my depression and anxiety. Whereas in the beginning, I assumed the depression and anxiety was specific to just the eating disorder, not realizing that the eating disorder was causing me to lose that social aspect of life. Oh, that's so powerful because I think so many people think my relationship with food is going to be healed if I fix the eating. Right. And it's really a two-part process. Like, it is 50% physiological, 50% psychological. And, I mean, you know this from the work we do uh, in the outpatient clinic with eating disorders. It's like we don't like to work without therapists. We need those therapists on the team because we get stuck with our clients and there is this mental component that cannot be ignored. Right. And then even as I was switching over to nutrition major and getting the knowledge behind nutrition, which was great, I was still missing that component that was still leading to the depression and anxiety, which then kept making me question if I was still having some form of an eating disorder, which I would argue I was. It just wasn't taking the form of the food being the focus. Yes. Yeah. And I've said this on the show before, but because um, that I completely relate to that. Like I stopped my bulimic behaviors as a light switch. Like I turned them off. It very bulimic of me, right? Like all or nothing. Just turned them off. But I was still very bulimic in life. And what I mean by that is like I would binge and purge on friendships. Like I'd be best friends with someone and then I was done with them. You know, I do that with jobs. I did that with money. I did it with shopping. Like it just kind of trickled and showed up in other areas until I worked on the mental side. Right, right. And it's kind of interesting too. Like I would make the argument that me even saying that I have a, a minor shoe addiction was me directing just my obsessive mentality towards something away from food and the social. Oh, for sure. I relate to that. (laughs) And the good news is like, at least I know that I'm not totally financially draining myself. And even though I know that that's still a problem, because again, there's so many individuals out there that have those obsessive mentalities that maybe they can't necessarily get rid of, but at least I can target in a way that isn't impacting my health in a negative way. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the, the litmus test of it is, is like, is this harming me more than it's helping me? Right. Because we right. all need, we all need coping tools and I am a we all shopper. Got our vices. Yeah. Oh, I am a crazy <laughs> shopper and I totally use shopping to make me feel better if I'm yeah. having a bad day, but it's not like I'm sacrificing my family's food, right? Or I'm not putting my family in a position where we can't do things together because I have too many shoes in the closet. Yep. And yep. not to say I've been perfect. I've definitely gone overboard yeah, on yeah. some months. But there's still like that line of just being aware, okay, I'm using this as a coping tool, but it's not one that's damaging. Right. Whereas right. food becomes a little bit damaging yeah. from time to time. Yeah. And then I think that also just within me trying to please my dad growing up with this style of eating, it led me to be more obsessive about like just pleasing people for my purpose. Mm-hmm which also became a problem because then I was never actually trying to fix my own problems and my problems would just continue to build. And on top of essentially getting some level of transference because I didn't understand how to then listen to other people's problems and not let it impact me in a negative way. Yeah, so it impacts how you help people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is what you're trying to do in this field. Exactly. In the first place. Yeah, yeah. But at least now I know how to separate myself from that so it's not leading to my own eating disorders or my own depression all over again or something. Well, I think you bring up a really good point where it's like we want, we're specifically in a field that we help others, you know, be the healthiest version of themselves, but that's going to require us to be the healthiest version of ourselves and not perfect, but 
healthy enough that we can separate like our own stuff. And I think that is applicable to everyone, right? Like parents, you're raising kids. It's like we have to be able to separate our own stuff and not project it onto our kids, kind of like what it sounds like you experienced. Right, right. So like even now, like even some of the stuff I tell myself relative to food, I know I would never tell an eating disorder patient knowing that I still want to teach this mentality of nothing should be ever off limits and mm-hmm. you don't want to think of even dietitians as the food police or anything like that. Um, but then I know within my own eating style though, uh, yeah, I still sometimes still have a purpose or justification, but at least now I'm giving myself more allowance to still indulge from time to time if the social situation permits it. Mm, so you got a little bit more flexibility. I'm slowly becoming more flexible with it. Like I would argue this was still going to be a lifelong journey of me truly kind of getting away from some of those eating disorder mentalities, especially with performance or body image still being valued in our society. Yeah, it's a tough line. So I want to ask you this question. I know you and I have had this conversation before and we never have a clear answer, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I just want to like have some dialogue around it. And that's where do you think this line is between like discipline and drive to be the healthiest version of yourself versus the unhealthy orthorexic obsession with food? Yeah, so I think it's uh, it's this mentality of moderation in all things. I, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer to that because it's relative to the individual and what they're doing just within their daily routine. The way I see it is as long as the eating style fits the person's lifestyle versus the person trying to fit an eating style that doesn't fit their lifestyle, that's that's the make it or break it for me. Mm, I like that. So if if you're eating in a way that allows you to live exactly your lifestyle. Yep, yep. And that's where I think the problem with like diet culture comes in is because we compare ourselves to people that don't have our same lifestyle. Right. And, and then, we expect to be that. And that's a major problem because again, those social media people that post that Instagram worthy post don't tell you their life story of how they got there in the first place, right. which they I'm sure have their own suffrage that led to them getting to that point. Yeah. I mean, I even feel a little bit of guilt with this in my own self because I think sometimes people are like, Jeff, what do you do to like stay healthy? What's your secret? And like, honestly, part of my secret is I do food for a living. Right. So right. for people to think that like, they're going to know everything I know, it's just not realistic. For me being in a gym, for someone to assume that they can look the exact same way if they don't have that same active lifestyle. Right. Um, that's huge for sure. Yeah. We got to know our parameters and our capacity and our resources and just, and be clear with that and not expect ourselves. To and even somewhere. right now, even though I feel like I'm still more towards the orthorexic side, I would make the argument though, that because I know how food makes me feel and how busy I am in my day, I'm actually eating to not feel like crap. So, yeah. so maybe I do eat a little bit cleaner than the average person still, but it's actually at least it, it's a, there's a justification for it so I can get through my day. Well, and that's not a disorder justification. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's part of just getting older. <laughs> like, yeah. And just understanding how food impacts us. Yeah. And just staying aware. Yeah. And you just, uh, I, there was this other quote, I'm such a quotes person, but it was like being in your thirties is waking up going, am I hungover? Oh, wait, no. I just, like, you do get it's to this. It's so true, though. Yeah, you get to this point where you're like, this is just, like, getting older, and if I don't take really good care of my body, then I just feel like crap. I feel like crap, and, then I, and then I can't help those around me that I want to help. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think where I, you've been fortunate, and I feel like I've been very fortunate, is through our journey with food, like, we picked careers that allowed us to heal that relationship. I think so, too. Yeah, so we can be in this place now, whereas I work with a lot of women, because I don't see very many men, but a lot of women that come in and they are still carrying that like disordered eating baggage. 
and now trying to reconcile, well, now I'm in my 30s and 40s and 50s, and I need to take better care of my body, but I still feel all this extra stuff. Right, right. And I think it's important to note that guys in general in this day of age need to learn to be more vulnerable if they want to actually increase their quality of life, or else Mm. they're going to continue to be in this hidden this hidden image that they can't seem to get out of. Yeah, so let's talk about men and mental health. And I know it's a little off topic, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's important to hit on, even though most of my listeners are female, I mean, we all have men in our lives. Right. So how can we create like safer spaces for men to talk about their emotion and feel more vulnerable, be, feel safe feeling vulnerable? I think it has to do with not shunning when they are truly becoming vulnerable. Because most kids, if they're, the minute, say, a boy cries, the dad immediately is telling him to stop crying, be a man, this kind of thing. And I think it's those, those words, essentially, that parents need to start getting away from to show that there's acceptance and allowance for a male to be as vulnerable as that said female. So, like, if my boys start crying, embracing that? What made you feel that way? I, I think it's embracing it. I it's the it's the the boys that or guys that end up wanting to really truly seek respect from the parents. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that end up falling more into these obsessive routes because maybe they're not getting that affection that the female got. Mm-hmm. In terms of showing that it's okay to be sad from time to time, it's okay to express those emotions as opposed to holding it in and then it coming out in a more dangerous way. I love that because let me tell you something about my boys. It is not difficult for me to baby them (laughs) and love on them and hold them when they cry. So, I mean, of course, I know I need to be age appropriate with that as they grow older. Because I do want them to be strong men. But I I think embracing that with them, I mean, I'm here for it. I think it sounds wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's great. And I think it also comes back to what the the male role model is doing and if he's also showing that sign of vulnerability because again like I know specifically being a guy obviously I'm going to look at my dad's behaviors a lot more than even my mom's behaviors and if there's no vulnerability at all then I don't understand what that even means to be vulnerable oh that's good stuff so and then what about those that don't have a male role model in their lives that I definitely think is hard but I I'll be honest, I almost feel like that gives them a bit of an advantage if they at least have the female role model because they already see that vulnerability side as long as the mother is making it clear that that's okay as opposed to shunning it when they maybe get emotional. Mm, that's good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, so what do you, would you say to all the women out there that have young men in their lives, whether it's sons, you know, mentors, nephews, whatever role they play, what would you want them to know about teaching these boys to have a healthy, productive, and empowered relationship with food? I truly believe it's this idea of moderation in all things and no food should ever be off limits. I love that, which is really goes against like your all or nothing yeah. mentality that it sounds like kind of got you stuck in this corner. Mm-hmm. It's like all food is safe food, all food is good food. Um, how do you convey that message now in the work you do? So... Obviously, I'm always going to tell any patient that there's that you can consume anything. The thing to be mindful of, obviously, if we still want to have this hierarchy of just health in general, is just knowing that there's a time and place for everything. So if we can have this allowance that's relative to understanding maybe the quality of the food relative to, say, that person's energy expenditure, then there's justification that gives us that allowance but isn't obsessive to the eating disorder side of things. Yeah, there's that, and that's what you didn't get as a kid, right? Right, it's I, didn't under, I didn't understand that. Yeah, so I love that you're filling that role now. Um, in eating disorder world, we call it like being your inner mother, being yeah. your inner father, and yeah. that's essentially what you're doing is 
sharing that with others. Like, here's the knowledge behind it. It's not that you can't have that donut, but let's think about what your goals are and what you're trying to do with your food. Right, right. And even like speaking on the weight, like I love just learning from you this idea that you don't need to weigh yourself every day or once, even once a week or because there's so many variables that play into it. And again, if we get hung up on one variable that is actually multiple variables, yeah, it's just it's causing more problems. <laughs> I love that you said that. Uh, Would you say one variable that's actually multiple variables? Yep. It's, but I talk about that all the time. It's like not weighing yourself. And it's so funny when I get clients, they'll email me like almost a pol- I'm sorry, Jess, I weighed. Like there's like <laughs> this fear of like, I weighed myself. I'm so sorry. But it's, it's funny how we have such an attachment to that one variable. Right. And right. that one. So do you weigh yourself? Um, I weigh myself maybe once a month, but again, it's on our in-body machine that's actually telling me where that weight number is actually coming from. Because again, and maybe this goes back to me being a guy and that masculinity is I want to see if it's coming from muscle versus fat. So I actually care more about the body composition than the weight itself. Because at the end of the day, when I was restricting myself, I was creating a smaller version of myself. So I was still just as unhappy because I wasn't actually aesthetically leaning out. And Mm -hmm. it's through this understanding of the ratio of our macronutrients and food that we can, weight doesn't need to be the end goal. And the end goal can actually be body composition that's still fueling you with enough food. Well, again, it's like this underlying theme of nutrition knowledge, knowledge. versus yeah. fear. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah, that's so good. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey. I think it's really cool that you're like being this voice in the male community to say like, hey, it's okay to say these are problems. It's okay to say you struggle with this because obviously it's needed. Right, right. And I hope that anyone listening can actually accept the fact that it's okay to feel vulnerable at times and that's not a bad thing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope it strengthened your food journey and empowered you to live boldly in your body. Real quick, sister, before you go, if you liked today's episode, the best way you can thank me is head on over to iTunes, Fuel Her Awesome Podcast, leave a review and subscribe. Then take a screenshot and share it on your social media. Don't forget to tag me at JessBrownRD. And if you're looking for more resources, be sure to check out my website, JessBrownRD.com. I've got info on my e-course, Fuel Her Awesome Food Foundations, my 10-step ebook on how to beat body bullying, and so much more. I cannot wait to chat with you babes again. Until next time, cheers and happy eating.